0: Hello, welcome to You Don't Know Mojack. My name is Ryan. My name's Brandt. In this episode, we're discussing SST 130, our first Dinosaur Jr. record, You're Living All Over Me. This is a big record for us. We're going from an album last week that I had never really heard before to an album that might be one of the most listened to SST albums for me, right up there with Rage and Full On. So th- this is a big one. It's our first Dino LP and uh, we're going to get the full Mojack intro treatment as well, Brent. We're getting the full Mojack intro treatment? Yeah, we're going to get the the Dino intro Mojack treatment. What's Are you the, ready? What's that mean? Well, you know, when we're going through the band for the first time, we got to get the oh, intro treatment. Oh, I see. The the inaugural yeah, man. History lesson part 1. Right, exactly. Okay. This is we're we're going we're going way back to through the annals of time for this one. <laughs> awesome. <laughs> Uh, Can I hit you with a couple of spiels first? Sure you can. All right. So spiel number one, Bob is back. Mm -hmm. Bob Mould's got a He sure is. Yeah. Blue Blue Hearts coming out in September on Merge. He's got uh, one track out, American Crisis. Love it. Very timely as well. Good video. Yeah. Uh, Sounds more aggro than Sunshine Rock, uh, which was on my top 10 last year. That, uh, that power trio he's got going right now is just insane for me. I'm, I'm pumped for this one for sure. That song that he released is the complete
1: opposite of anything to do with sunshine. Yeah. (laughs) But it's great. I hope the whole, I hope the whole records like that.
0: Yeah, no, I'd be good. Um, so that's, that's spiel. Number one, Bob is back spiel. Number two, a watt update, Hmm. but it's in the category of better late than never, this Watt update, all right? Mm-hmm. Have you ever heard of uh, Funanori? I don't think so. Funanori brand. Never? No, never. Okay, so Funanori, I came across it. I don't know why or how. I was I was in a, uh, a rabbit hole on the net. Uh, Funanori is a proj between Watt and Kaori suchita from the Go team. And it's a split CD from 2007, and I'm just finding out about it now. It's a split with this band called Light, which is a Japanese math rock band. I think that's how I came across this. I was just in a math rock rabbit hole, and uh, I was digging Light. And then I saw that they had this split with Funanori. It's got a Raymond Pettibone cover as well. It's a CD only on Transduction Records from 2007. And the Funanori tracks are... They're kind of all over the place. Like, they have a kind of a Japanese flavor, very pop-sounding. It's kind of neat. And uh, the disc, it's six tracks. It's called A Tiny Twofer. And uh, it's worth checking out for those light songs, uh, for the math rock anyways, in my books. Cool, man. And then another pseudo watt update but it also goes back to a spiel i had i don't know like 10 episodes ago or something about sst tribute or cover records um i found another one it's called project fake have you ever heard of that one brand no project fake it hmm. is it's a seven inch uh tribute to the Minutemen on easy money records and it's really weird. It comes in this vinyl satchel with a zipper on it. Uh, it's bizarre. It's from 1997, and you can still order it right off Bandcamp. Um, it came It came in the mail like in three weeks. One of the fastest plague-shipped orders I've had in the last couple of months here. It's got probably the most famous bands on here are Victim's Family and the Rhythm Pigs. Oh, cool. Um but it's a neat little single from 1997, another Minutemen tribute, Project Fake. And the cover's cool because it's got like a, uh, a double nickels tribute type cover. It says Maximum Speed 33 on it. I don't know if you can see that. I can, yeah. Cool, man. So that's a cool one to check out. And you can listen to it right now on uh, on Bandcamp. Hmm. Those are my spiels. Anything from you? Yeah.
1: Uh, I have an update for you. A few of our listeners wanted me to let you know about Shine, the wino project. Yes. Yes. So. I like it. Shine morphed into Spirit Caravan, which is the band that came after. Same dudes, just changed the name. I think due to the fact that there was probably other bands called Shine. Oh, yeah. So you mentioned that single, I think it is, that's on Joe Lally's label, label Tolada Records.
0: Yeah, and a cassette they put out.
1: Yeah, so all of those songs are on the uh, Spirit Caravan debut album, Jug Full of Sun. Oh, no yeah. way. Probably re-recording. And you've heard that record? I have, yeah. You've heard yep. it? And is it, is it good too? Yeah, I like Spirit Caravan. So, and and that first record, and I think the one that came after it too, also came out on Tolada. So Right on. There you go. When you're done with... Being obsessed by the, the obsessed, you can get into some spirit caravan. Yeah, man. Okay, Ryan. For people who didn't listen to last week's episode, you should go back and listen to it. I'm starting a new series of spiels called Get This Shit Off My Phone.
0: Where <laughs> <I'm>... <laughs> that might be the best, the best themed spiel of all time on the show. Yeah. So...
1: I'm on the bees, and Whoa. considering like I didn't even do Black Flag or Black Sabbath, I've there was a lot of bees on my phone, man. You ready That's for this?
0: Popular, popular band name. Yeah. Uh, well. Letter. Are you getting your pen out, Ryan? Yep, I'm uh, just dipping my quill in the inkwell. <laughs> go, go, baby.
1: Okay. Well, you feel free to comment on any or all of this. The Barracudas. This ain't my time. The great English surf garage band led by Jeremy Gluck. Great double disc comp. It's got all the singles, bunch of great album tracks, cool liner notes. If anybody out there hasn't heard the Barracudas, great place to start. The Brian James Gang, of course, the guitarist on the first two albums by The Damned. And in Lords of the New Church, he has a number of albums, many of which are on the British label Easy Action Records, which I tend to buy everything that label puts out. I listened to the self-titled release from 2006 uh, with uh, members of the Lords of the New Church backing them up, and it's great. Here's one you probably have, Ryan. Bomb, Hits of Acid came out on Boner Records in 1988. I do recorded it recorded at inner ear in Arlington by Eli Janey of girls against boys, psychedelic post-punk. The back of the album says performed while the band was on a lot of drugs. They have two more albums, which I've never heard. The third of which is surprisingly on reprise
0: records. Yep. Yeah. I've, I've got all those records and I've got, I don't know if I have everything, but I try to get everything on boner records. hundred percent.
1: Yeah. Okay, this is not a recommend for you, but (laughs) I love... (laughs) Great. I love Buckethead. And so I listened to an album called Live in Bucketheadland, which is actually not live in front of a crowd. I think it's live in a studio. It's a great place to start if you want to check out Buckethead. Lots of shredding, of course, but some flat-out weird stuff, some really nice melodic guitar-based intros. Good primer for Buckethead. Okay, here's another one you probably have, Ryan, because it's on Homestead. Blackjacks, basic blackjacks. Great, glammy punk rock out of Boston.
0: Yeah, I have it. Not a huge fan. It's okay. That's
1: Homestead 001, by the way.
0: that's the one I'm thinking of. Yep.
1: Yep. Okay, Blind Illusion, The Sane Asylum, from 1988 on Combat Records, produced by Kirk Hammett, featuring on guitar Larry Lalonde, and on bass Les Claypool. This is a pre-Primus band. Huh. They're a thrash band, like Bay Area thrash, but with a whole lot of Russian King Crimson thrown in. And you can definitely tell it's less Claypool on bass. What's the name of that one? Blind Illusion is the band, and the Sane Asylum is the record. Interesting. Here's one I I bet you're a fan of, Ryan. Broughton's Rules, Bounty Hunter, 1853. Oh, yeah. 2010 relapse records, members of Blunderbuss and Don Caballero. Don Cabman, yep. They have a second record that I've never heard. I bet you have, though.
0: I believe I've, I think that one is on, is it on relapse too? Yeah, they both are, yeah. Okay, yeah, I've got both of them. I thought for some reason the second one was on a different label.
1: Wrong. Okay, one of my faves, Ryan, The Bevis Frond. I listened, I have all their records. Love them all. Triptych is the one I listened to this week. Of course, it's Nick Solomon, kind of a one-man band, although this was his third record, which came out in 1988. After this one, he kind of formed a band and started recording in, in Real Studios, this is the last of like his Tascam bedroom recording albums, but they're great. And total tie-in with this show, I've read that Mascus is a big fan, and they are not that different from Dinosaur Jr. Lots of insane guitar playing from Nick Solomon. Mm. If you're a fan of Jay Maskus's guitar playing, you would probably love the Bevis Frond. Okay, here's, a, here's one I've talked about fairly recently, Bad Yodelers. Oh, yeah. Yeah. It's just a best-of comp. I just love it. They had a couple albums. They're they're kind of on the S.S. tree because Carl Alvarez was the vocalist prior to leaving for The Descendants. Great punk rock with some riffy thrash guitars, clean vocals. I actually think you'd like it, Ryan. You need to check out the band. I've got
0: those records since you recommended it when we did The Descendants all show. And uh, I agree. Like, it has a little bit more of a metal touch to it that i like but i do like those records
1: yeah the new black lips in a world that's falling apart first new album since 2017 uh this one's got a country vibe which i actually really like it's a good record here's another one you're probably a fan of ryan bullet la volta the gift their their 1989 tang debut boston post punk band with members of chavez and moving targets Have you heard, Ryan, I bet you have, Ken Chambers' solo stuff?
0: Yep. Is it good? Uh, It's not. as I don't like it as much as the Moving Targets, and he's got one album that's instrumental. Uh, Mm. Not the greatest for me, Um, but anything that Ken Chambers is singing on, I like. Okay. Bundle of Hiss, Sessions,
1: 1986 to 1988. Came out on Loveless Records' This is Kurt Danielson's band Pre-Tad with yep. Dan Peters of Mud Honey on drums. Total Tad Stooges Green River vibe. They sound like a Seattle band or sounded like a Seattle band. These are all demos, but they're very good. Okay, here's a couple that's on the that are on the SS tree. Blind idiot god, cyclotron from nineteen ninety two yes. on Avant Records. Yes. I think it's my favorite Blind Idiot God record, actually. It's industrial, it's noisy, it's riffy, the dub tracks are great. Love it. And following up from a couple weeks ago, Ryan, the Bootstrappers. I'm going to call it Geigo. It's G I and then an equal sign, yep. G O.
0: Stands for Garbage In, Garbage Out. Geigo. Uh,
1: okay. 1992 atonal records, Dith- different rhythm section. Then the one we talked about a couple episodes episodes back didn't grab me as much as the Watt Hurley one, uh, but I will listen to it again for sure.
0: Hey, I've got a Bootstrappers update for you. Watt does play the rubber band bass string bass on that Bootstrap, Bootstrappers album. Confirmed. Done. Okay, good. <laughs> <laughs> Phew.
1: Okay, Bong Water. I listened to disc two of the box of bong water. I know we've talked about Kramer before, probably yep. because shimmy disc came up or something. Yep. Uh, disc two is mostly the debut double bummer, but I like bong water. Here's a recommend. I'm, I'm assuming the reason this was on my phone is because you recommended buzz rodeo sports.
0: Oh yeah. Yeah. I like it. Oh it's yeah. Good stuff. Dude, buzz rodeo. You gotta, you gotta check out their new band. Um, Uh, Trigger Cut. Oh yeah, you've talked about them. Yep,
1: it's good. Okay, almost done. Butthole Surfers, double live 1989 Latino Bugger Veil, which is their label. It's got almost all of Locust Abortion Technician and Hairway to Steven, my two favorite albums of theirs, live, and it's got some covers. REM's the one I love. It's a good live album. Boredoms, Ryan, do you listen to them?
0: With uh, Yamatsuka Ai on vocals. Yeah, man.
1: Wouldn't say I'm a super fan, but I have a few of their albums. Uh, AE is what I call this one. It's a good place to start. I like it. Black Sun Ensemble. I read about them in Carducci's book Rock and the Pop Narcotic, actually, so I checked them out. Psychedelic desert band, Lambent Flame is the one I checked out 1989 on Reckless Records. Foreign by Jesus or Jesus Acido, I'm not sure how he pronounces his first name started in 1984 and they went right up until his passing in 2013. Good stuff. Uh, I did the black crows album by your side cause I'm still buzzing after reading Steve Gorman's book, which is really good. And that's totally underrated album by the crows. Here's one for you, Ryan and nobody else ever <laughs> listening to this podcast. will know who this band in is, but they should Bluebeard <laughs> selling point. Great band from Regina, Saskatchewan, Canada. <laughs> right on Melodia Records. Total Fugazi esque band. We saw them open for Fugazi,
0: actually. Yeah, we did. When we saw Fugazi on the Argument tour, we saw them one day in Saskatoon, and then we followed them the next day to Regina, too. Yeah, I think we knew it was the only time we'd ever get to see them. So you better you better make the drive and see them twice. Yeah. Okay. Last one. Brainiac
1: bonsai superstar do you like brainiac ryan (sighs) i've not gotten into them yeah same with me but i saw there's a documentary on them yep yeah i haven't watched it yet i'm planning on checking it out i saw they have an album on touch and go their singer tim taylor unfortunately was killed in in an accident while they were recording like an album i was kind of distracted while i was listening to it Just off the top of my head, it sounded like the John Spencer Blues Explosion meets the Mars Volta or something like that. Okay, man. uh, That's
0: it for me. Wow. So did you get that shit off your phone or what? Yeah, it's all off my phone. Wow. So what, you're listening and then you're deleting? Is that your deal? Yeah. Oh, wow. Yeah. Freeing up space. Oh, I see. You're replenishing the tunes. I got you. Yeah. Right on. Well, I've written down half a dozen there that I should check out. So I'm on it. Cool, man. Do you know what other band is on uh, Boner Records that's good and you should check out if you haven't already? Uh, not the Melvins. Melvin? No, not the Melvins. <laughs> <laughs> duh? Yes. Is it Duh? I was going to recommend Duh.
1: Yeah. Those records are good. Yeah, man. Okay. Let's get into this record, Ryan. History lesson part one.
0: All right, Brent, like I said, this is a big one, big one for me, big one for you. Dinosaur Jr. is right up there in terms of SST bands for me, like with Husker du and Firehose. Um, they're actually like ahead of Black Flag for me, to, to be honest. I don't know where they sit for you, though. Uh, I'm not as big of a fan as you are. I like
1: the earlier stuff well that's not true I think farm is might be my favorite dinosaur junior record Boy, next to it, this one actually yeah um for me like this this record is just really important in indie rock it's really important on SST it's kind of this one and the one we'll be getting to in a couple of weeks sister are two that kind of yeah are made the myth of SST, you know?
0: Agreed, especially in the late 80s, for sure. And this is this is the classic lineup of Dinosaur Jr., who have since reformed, but this is the trio of Lewis Knox Barlow, Lou Barlow, Emmett Jefferson, Patrick Murphy, or Murph, Joseph Donald Mascus, or J. Mascus, otherwise known as J. Lou Murph. They uh, They did these first three records this is their second album though the self-titled dinosaur album came out on homestead in 85 this is their first record on sst though and we'll talk about how they got onto sst in a bit here and we're going to see them again um there's this record and then there's sst 152 the little fury things 12 inch sst 216 which is the bug lp 220 is the Freak Scene 7-inch, 244 is the Just Like Heaven 7-inch, and then 275 is the Fossils compilation. So we're going to see Dinosaur Jr. Uh, about five or six times with this lineup, thankfully, because it's 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 just awesome music. It just is. Um, and yeah. before we start at the start, um, since it's going to be a while till we get to the end, just for those who don't know, I mentioned... The uh, the Homestead album, Dinosaur came out in '85. Um, there are, there's this album and Bug, and then is out of the band and he goes on to do other stuff, which we'll talk about in a sec here. But Jay keeps going. There's the and I'm interested in your thoughts on these records because you were just talking about how, like, you're really into the early Dino, and really into the Farm record. But what about? Green Mind, Where You Been, Without a Sound, and Hand It Over, 91 to 97. Those are all killer, man. Yeah, Green Mind
1: and uh, Where You Been are both great albums that I know really well. The two that came after that, I don't know as well. Until And then
0: and then I fast forward to, to Beyond. And oh, Okay, so yeah. did you check out, so 2000, 2002, Jay put out, those two albums by him and his, like his backing band, J Mascus and the fog, which I treat almost like dinosaur junior records, more light and free. So free. Did you ever yep. get into those? I have free. So free. I don't have the other one and yeah. I like it. Yeah, yep. they're good. But I, as you mentioned, 2007, this classic line, it get, gets back together for the beyond record followed by farm in 2009, 2012, I bet on sky most recently, give a glimpse of what you got in 2016, and just buttloads of singles too. Like Jay Mascus, very prolific um, with the Dinosaur Jr. band. And then this particular lineup is near and dear to a lot of people. Lou, of course, um, he has the Sebado and Folk Implosion uh, projects as well. He picked up Sebado again. Not that long ago, um, they've had a couple of new records. Um, but Jay has, and Lou had uh, a ton of solo records. Jay also has had a ton of solo records. He has the Sweet Apple Project, Upside Down Cross, Witch, um, also Gobblehoof brand, which we'll talk mm-hmm. about in a bit, which has a couple of awesome records on New Alliance. Actually, that, um, that Gobblehoof record... Uh, the the self-titled one from 1989 has got one of my all-time go-to tracks for a compilation tape upside down just a killer song yeah and it then is good and then um Murph what he hasn't really been as prolific with side projects but he did play with lemonheads for a while as I recall
1: hey there's a new dinosaur junior album in the can too did you know that
0: yeah yeah well yeah. I think they're I think they're sitting on it until the, yeah. the plague is over right yeah I think so. They, they, uh, they publicized that not too long ago. Did they give a name for it? I don't think so. Yeah, I don't think so. I think it was a an interview with Lou or Jay, and they let that slip. Mm-hmm. But anyways, in order for us to start from the start, um, let's talk about some of the, the sources that we're going to use to, at a very high level, kind of go through the Dinosaur Jr. story. Our Band Could Be Your Life, the book by Michael Azerrad has got a whole chapter on Dinosaur Jr. in there. And it's a great read. This album actually has uh, a 33 and a third book edition by Nick Atfield. If you want to go deep on your living all over me. It's really good too. I've read a lot of those books.
1: Some are good, some are not. I put this up there with Michael T's Double Nichols book though. It's really good. It is one of the better ones for sure. Considering how notorious Dinosaur Jr. is for like not really answering questions.
0: (laughs) Well, I think, I think Jay Mascis is more notorious for that than dinosaur (laughs) junior. Yeah. He He definitely has that reputation. The other thing, um, that I found, I found some interesting tidbits about the artwork from this record in a, uh, the liner notes for a numero box set called visitors, which collects all of the, uh, early Dinosaur Jr. 7 Inches into a Box, and it's got some liner notes by Mora Jasper, who did the artwork for this record. That's a good source. And then, of course, there is the, the Dinosaur Jr. book that came out in uh, 2013 on Rocket 88. It's a, it's a very, very nice coffee table book, and all three of the original members participated in it. And then the liner notes from... Uh, Merge Records actually re-released the first three records the self-titled, this one and Bug and all three of them I, actually at least these two I didn't actually look at Bug but uh, the first two anyways You're Living All Over Me and the self-titled one have got uh, liner notes by Byron Coley and also some quotes from other uh, Dino and SST luminaries from back then and I'll I'll hit you with some quotes in a bit here so there's there's a lot of material to draw upon, thankfully, from way back when. And it's because, you know, Dinosaur Jr. is a very well-documented band because they're so important mm-hmm. to indie rock, to grunge, to college rock, to shoegaze, to to all that music that, um, you know, late 80s, early 90s, when shit just exploded, Dinosaur Jr. didn't. They weren't up there with some of the other ones that, you know the Seattle bands but they were they were right up there for me anyways yeah when i when we do a band i like to get up to speed and
1: listen to everything that came before the record we're listening to and i listened to the self-titled one this week and when the the song the leper came on oh
0: yeah man i was rocking so hard <laughs> you know what though that self-titled <laughs> record the progression of of dinosaur junior from that self-titled record to this one is it's insane. It is. Yeah. Like on you're living all over me, this record, they really, really cast the mold for dinosaur junior to come and forever since like they really are fully formed at that in, in this, and they're just building upon it ever since this record. The first record is a little bit all over the place, but let's, let's start from the start because we want to talk about that first record for a bit as, as we get to this one. Um, Anyways, so Jay Mascus, he grew up in Amherst, Massachusetts, started out as a drummer. Lou Barlow from Westfield, Massachusetts, started out as a guitarist. Um, they both got into hardcore, and around 1981, Lou put up an ad for a drummer, and Jay answered. And the ad said, drummer wanted to play really fast, influences, black flag, and minor threat. They also got uh, two other guys, Scott Helland and Charlie Nakajima. And Charlie is actually ends up in that band Gobblehoof, um, which I mentioned a moment ago. But these four guys, they start a band called Deep Wound, which is basically a hardcore band in the early 80s, really playing as spastic and as fast as possible. Um, if you want to check out some Deep Wound, that label Lost and Found from Germany collects all of their tracks onto uh, a CD that came out uh, probably about 15 years ago or so, but you can listen to all the, the deep wound tracks on there. I'm not a big fan of deep wound. I kind of bought it cause Jay and Lou were in the band, but it's just okay. Hardcore for me. They get compared a lot to the
1: band from Canada called the Neos for the being Neos. just insanely
0: fast. Yeah, to just be as fast as possible seemed to be what they were really into, for sure. Um, now, you could tell right away when you read up about Dino, Dinosaur Jr., Jay and Lou from this period, Jay Maskus started getting tired of, of this music, uh, it really seems, and he started playing guitar and writing songs on guitar and deep wound and the songs were kind of changing the later deep wound songs are not quite as spastic, but they still are really. Um, there's also two, um, deep wound tracks on the Gerard Cosloy conflict compilation bands that could be God and in Gerard Cosloy actually began managing deep wound. Now, as I mentioned, Jay starts playing more guitar, And their interests start to shift at the tail end of Deep Wound into The Replacements, Black Sabbath, and Neil Young. They kind of got over hardcore, kind of got disillusioned with it. And uh, Deep Wound breaks up in 1984. The Dinosaur Jr. book, there's a quote from Lou there about what they were listening to when they started Dinosaur Jr. Prayers on Fire in Junkyard by the Birthday Party. Closer by Joy Division and Meat Puppets 2 was a big one. And he says this, they were swinging between the extremes like we did later from hardcore to country, but they did it first. No surprise there that Dinosaur Jr. was influenced by the Meat Puppets, right? Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Now, so Deep One quits in 1984. Gerard Cosloy moves to manage Homestead Records in, in New York But he basically says to Jay, hey, if you you write up a record and I'll put it out for you. So Jay started writing um, a record of music that ended up being complex, more interesting songs than the deep wound, hardcore stuff. He invited Lou to play bass, also brought in Nakajima. And that's when they got uh, Murph on drums. Murph had been in a band called All White Jury. And their first show, as a four-piece, they played under the name Mogo. Um, They played that show in September of 1984, but apparently Nakajima was spouting up some stuff on stage that upset Jay, and he, uh, he basically decided to break up the band and reform it with Lou and Murph. So Jay, Lou, and Murph started Dinosaur shortly after september of 1984 there they got known early on for just playing loud and they still are known for that i've seen them a few times live and it is just deafening how loud they play and it's on purpose too they were uh they were trying to really feel the air move from the amplifiers really um there's a quote from bob mold about how loud they were playing And uh, Bob Mould says, what Jay was the first to do was turn his amp full up and position it right behind his vocal mic. Then every time he moved his head just a half inch to either side, you'd think you were hearing guitars for the rest of your life. Ever since then, lots of American and British bands have been doing exactly the same thing. The difference is that they don't know why they're doing it. They just know that they saw Jay doing it and it sounded brilliant. So... They were really trying to experiment with volume, I guess, or kind of get that same type of power with a guitar that Jay was used to getting when he was playing drums. And then also to just, you know, block the mic with your, your head while you're singing, move it away, and then you just even amp it up more when you're going to rip into a shredding Jay Mascus solo. They were so loud, though, that it was hard for sound men to fix them. Um, So they kind of got a bit of a bad rep for that. It was also so loud that it was hard to, hard to really hear, you know, what the songs sounded like. Um, but that's kind of the rep that they got. They wrote all this music after the Deep Wound days, and they recorded the self-titled album for Cosloy for 500 bucks. We started talking about their self-titled album a few minutes ago there. It's a weird album, hey, like all over the place. Mm-hmm. There's remnants of hardcore on it. But now it's sounding like what Dinosaur Jr., you'll hear this term. They kind of get described as ear bleeding country with some sludge and shoegaze all thrown in. Um, but it's definitely fitting for them, definitely fitting for them on this first album. Now, they went and played in New York and Sonic Youth saw them and invited Dinosaur Jr. to tour with them for two weeks on their EVOL tour. So no surprise that Dinosaur Jr. and Sonic Youth uh, struck up a bit of a friendship early mm-hmm. on. Lots of similarities in terms of experimentation and mm-hmm. volume and noise, I would say. Yeah, for sure. Um, but this became a pivotal friendship for Dinosaur Jr. in terms of them getting on SST as well. When they were writing and recording the next album, this one, You're Living All Over Me, Jay ended up writing all the drums and he was really dictating how Murph was going to be playing them on this record. And you'll start reading about how Jay's personality, how he was really aloof, um, really critical. Um, and it seemed to, you know, this band broke up after the bug record and it seems like, you know, the personalities were, they were all really, I guess, irritable and mean it seems yeah. and uh that you keep seeing that thematically over and over but jay as a drummer he on you're living all over me when they were writing this he was writing all the drums in his head at the same time and so when they got to recording it they were very uh specific that way i think
1: i read somewhere ryan that in the practice room he had a drum kit set up beside murph's drum kit so he could show them Ooh, but ouch. to show him
0: stuff. <laughs> <laughs> well, Murph was, um, he was like into prog stuff, hey? Yeah. And you can you can tell that he has some chops when he plays this stuff, but it sounds like he didn't have much artistic license on this record. You can also tell, I think, that Jay wrote
1: the drums because they, they really sync up with the guitar playing in a lot of spots.
0: Yeah, yeah. I, I agree, I agree. Well, and that is it's reflective of the music on this album, because this new music is way more advanced than the first record. There are uh, layers, multi tracks and something Jay was doing, which was very uncool back in the day in punk rock, is he's using tons of pedals. Mm -hmm. He's getting all sorts of different sounds. And uh, that was not very cool, like to use a wah-wah or other things Sonic Youth, though, sent some of these tapes to SST, and the SST guys loved it. Um, The stoners at SST loved the guitar, loved the sludge. And in the You're Living All Over Me liner notes, there's a quote from Mike Watt there about how Dinosaur Jr. caught the attention of SST. He says, Greg Ginn must have liked their long hair or the guitar jams. I know the Dino guys told me their whole goal in life was to make an SST record. They just loved that label. SST was such a collection of weird individuals and dinosaur fit right into that. You could never tell what an SST band was going to sound like. There were no clones, no rubber stamps. Being an SST band had nothing to do with the sound. It just meant you knew there were going to be some weirdos involved. I thought Dino, even though... They were years down the road. We're totally in that tradition. The first album had been real interesting. I remember D. Boone got a test pressing somehow, and he said, it's the East Coast version of the Meat Puppets. When I told Jay that, this is Mike Watt speaking, he said that's what they were trying to do. Both those bands were like stepchildren of Neil Young. And of course, Jay was way into the birthday party then. Just look at that back cover with the hair and the pendant. But D. Boone really dug that album. Then he says, the other way I heard about Dinosaur Jr. was through the Sonics, Sonic Youth. Lee sang on the second record, this one. And Kim used to get these cassettes from Lou with songs like Polito, which is on this record. The first time I saw them was playing in Western Massachusetts with the Sonic Youth at Hampshire College. I really like that one, and I really like the way You're Living All Over Me is recorded. It's so weird. The guitar jumps out so big. It's almost like Raw Power, the, the Stooges record. There's that song Sludge Feast, where it goes between a 12-string sound and raw. Jay told me he went to guitar because he didn't like the way anyone else was doing it, and I can believe it. The guitar sound is massive, massive, massive on that record. That's what Watts said, and it's true, man.
1: Do you know what tracks were on that demo that they gave Ginn? No, I
0: don't. Um, I, I I guess, though, if I were to guess, it's probably the tracks that are on um, side two of this record, because those were recorded first in uh, Hollyoak, Massachusetts, before they started recording with Wharton Tears in New York for side one. That's my guess. Yeah. Yeah, it's raisins in a jar and tar pit. There you go.
1: Um,
0: how do you find that out? <laughs>
1: uh, I think it's in this Nick Adder Nick Atfield book. Oh, okay. I must have skipped past
0: that. Good find. Um, anyways, so dinosaur gets signed to SST, and Gerard Cosloy was not happy. <laughs> he thought <laughs> that uh, the the second record was going to come on on Homestead as well, but. Like Mike Watt said, um, Dinosaur Jr. always wanted to be on SST, so this was a big deal for them to get there. Um, I, think actually, it, I think it was
1: going to come out on Homestead. and might have been in Our Band Could Be Your Life, where I read he was like literally waiting for the master tapes and the artwork to come in the
0: mail. Yes, he was, yep. Yeah. Pretty brutal. He basically said, surprise, we're not going to put it out on your label. We'll put it out on SST. Um, yeah, well, I mean, as, as we just spoke about, they recorded, um, side one last and, uh, they recorded it at Fun City Studios with Wharton Tears in New York. And we've seen Wharton before on the show with Sonic Youth, right? And also Dos if I'm not mistaken. Yep. Sounds right. I think so. Yes. I think, yeah. I think Wharton recorded that first EP by Dos Domen. Yeah, you're right. Um, and then side two, like we just said, it was recorded by a guy named Dave, uh, Dave Pine at a studio called Pine Tracks in Holyoke, Massachusetts.
1: That Dave Pine dude gets interviewed in the, in the 33 and a third book. And he flat out admits like he wasn't into it. He couldn't handle the volume they were playing at in the studio. It wasn't where he was coming from. And they, they kind of clashed. And Jay was, you know, such a taskmaster that I, I think they butted heads too.
0: Yeah, yeah, and they definitely talk about how much how much of a better fit it was to record with Wharton rather than that guy and they ha- they definitely clashed with him for sure. It doesn't sound any better or worse to my ear, side
1: 2 of this record.
0: No, it fits together for sure. Yeah. Um it's it sounds like it's all one session. Yeah. Um around this time too, Lou started recording himself and in Boston Early copies of this record came with copies of a Barlow tape called Weed Forestin, which you've probably, uh, I don't know if you probably have a copy of that or have seen that. Uh, it was put out under the name Sebado, and that's kind of the beginning of Sebado as well. Um, but Lou really didn't contribute to Dinosaur Jr. after this record. Things really broke down between him and Jay. Uh, we'll get into more of that on the Bug record. They did go on tour for this record, though, in June of 1987, but SST missed the release date for this record, and it wasn't available until they made it all the way to the West Coast to California, and they had a few shows where no one showed up, basically. No one knew about them. There's lots of fighting on tour. Um, Again, they all seem to be kind of aloof, mean, irritable, um, not the greatest, uh, at getting along, I guess I would say um, They also did then A four week tour In Europe in 1987 Where The Europeans really, really Latched onto Dinosaur Jr And especially Jay Mascus He became like I don't know, like a bit of a uh, The media sweetheart Or whatever, everyone wanted to Get to know him and interview him And stuff, and he was, you know, his weirdo Right? Um, And so they all wrote about them. But uh, one of the books mentions how in their wake, all these bands sprung up uh, in this indie rock grunge shoegaze type of genre. And uh, they were really, um, really influential that way when they came to Europe. Um, Now, Lou has a quote as well in this Dinosaur Jr. book just to tie it back to grunge for a second, which I thought was really cool. He said that um, and one of these first shows they played in Seattle might have been on this tour. He says, the very first shows we played in Seattle, the guys from Mudhoney were crowded around the front of the stage, all looking at Jay's stuff. We played a lot of shows with Steve Albini in the early days, and there was a lot of it in the air back then. There was Green River, and when Super Fuzz Big Muff came out, It was after You're Living All Over Me. And it seemed like Mudhoney had based the whole concept of their band around Jay's thing, his sound. Sub-pop were coming from a post-hardcore angle like we were. It was all happening concurrently back then. All the people who'd been into punk and hardcore were then discovering the heavy sounds of Neil Young and Blue Cheer. When we played some gigs with the Flaming Lips, it was like, hey, Here's our brother band, three guys with lots of hair, playing loud and using the same kind of effects, all from the same hometown. We met the screaming trees and felt another immediate connection. They were influenced by the 70s heavy rock and hardcore like us. That is a good way to describe Dinosaur 2, like 70s rock and hardcore mixed together and a little bit of country too, I suppose.
1: Yeah, I I read a thing from Watt. I don't know which one of these books I read it in. Where he's talking about how, like, you know, they were past the the age where you kind of rebelled against that stuff, like was happening a few years prior to this. You know what I mean? Yeah,
0: rebelling against like arena rock and stuff like yeah. that. Yeah, I hear you. Yeah, yeah that, and you know, it just speaks to how like the disaffected hardcore fans were really ready for this type of movement in the late eighties. And they just latched onto this slacker indie rock sound for sure. We should also mention too, that dinosaur junior of course started out as just dinosaur. They added dinosaur junior in 1987 because of a cease and desist order from a band with a similar name as dinosaur, if not the same name, I think. Yeah. And, uh, and so you can, you can see copies of you living all over me that are just dinosaur without the junior
1: yeah the lp and the cassette i i think both came out with dinosaur and then yeah. got repressed with the dinosaur junior the cd i think came a little bit later cuz the sst cd i mean cuz it it only ha- the only version has dinosaur junior on it and i yeah. have the release date as july 1987 yeah
0: i think that's right too so again like it would have been right at the end of their tour in support of this record when it came out. So not the greatest timing. Here's what um, the SST hype sheet though says about this record. It says, this band is known for some of the loudest performances known to man. After this record, they will also be known for playing some of the most soulful, heartfelt music around. Jay, Lou and Murph, have been crafting their fine form of dynamic, raw-edged soul just for you. Dig the dig. It's interesting that this this hype, it mentions soul or soulful twice in it Uh, because you do find some people writing about, um, they don't describe Dinosaur Jr. as, you know, emo or emo core, but how it does bring in a lot of emotional angst, into the lyrics and the songwriting, uh, almost like never before at this stage in American underground indie rock. Yeah, it's true for sure. Yeah. Well, that's Jay's personality,
1: right? Oh yeah. Like I like a girl, but I don't, and lose too, but I don't, you know, I could never talk to a girl. Oh yeah, for sure.
0: That, (laughs) (laughs) you know, yeah, for sure. Do you want to get into the tracks? Oh, do I ever? History Lesson, part two. So this record, again, like it's huge. And every time that drum beat starts off the first track, it does it every time. It does it every single time, no matter how many times I listen to this record. The first track, Little Fury Things, the production really shows itself here. And uh, it's a a whole new Dinosaur Jr. from that self-titled record right off the bat.
1: Yeah, a few things I want to say here before we get going, Ryan. Side A of this record is all was all recorded by Wharton Tears at Fun City. Yep. And all the songs were written by Jay Maskus, except for the last two on the record, solely Correct. by
0: Jay. Yeah. But there's so many layers, multi-tracks on the guitar and vocals. There's tambourine, there's wah-wah, there's whammy, there's, there's cymbal washes. Um, there's just wicked tom rolls for accents in it, and Lou's fuzzed-out bass. Uh, one of my favorite things on this record, and we'll hear it on many of the tracks, but I just love the sound of uh, Lou playing a, a fuzzed-out Rickenbacker, man. It's awesome.
1: Yeah, and when you see him play live, you can totally tell the way he plays the bass is like a guitar player. He's a guitar player. Oh, yeah. yeah. Love it, love it. Uh, a few a few things about this track Uh, As you mentioned, it is the A-side of SST-152, so we'll be seeing this song again. Uh, This was obviously the single. They did a video for it, which is really good. It was filmed in and around Lou's parents' house. This track also has Lee Ronaldo singing on it. He was living upstairs. Like, if you remember, Ryan, that Wharton Tears studio was in the basement of the apartment complex that he was like the the groundskeeper for or whatever. Yep. And Lou, uh, Lee Ronaldo lived upstairs in there. So he came down and sang on this song. This song for me is just like the blueprint blueprint for so much of indie rock that was
0: to come in the next 10 years. Oh, yeah. Oh yeah. This, this, this record, man, the only song that I don't absolutely love on this record is Polito. Yeah. Everything, everything is perfect on this record.
1: This one has Lou screaming at the beginning. Yeah. All right. Track two cracked. Love the fuzzed out Lou bass again. Yep. That's what I have. You get to hear that bass sound, the Rickenbacker through the Marshall's, just like Lemmy. Uh, which Watt says Jay wanted. That was a Jay Maskus request. He talks in the liner notes of that Merge reissue about playing with the fog, Watt does. Yep. And Jay making him use a pick for the first time in 17 years and play through Marshalls. This song has one of the greatest lead guitar breaks of all time. Yes. In my When Jay opens up that wah pedal as the whole band comes back in and just peels off a gnarly solo. I just love it. Yeah. And uh love the lyrics, love the guitar sounds, the way you can hear him literally like stomping on the pedals. Like it has a when he when he's when he hits a pedal, it, you can tell like you know, he just
0: did it like that in the studio. Oh, it's really it's really sudden. Like there's no fading or anything like mm-hmm. that. But, but I like it that way, you know, it's oh, yeah.
1: part of, it's part of the record sound for sure.
0: hundred percent. And, and Jay is really, you know, playing some of his classic melodic picking in and amongst this raging wailing guitar stuff. It's just awesome. Yeah.
1: And then I've always liked how this song segues into the next song, Sludge Feast, which is an
0: awesome song title, by the way. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it has like just an intense buildup of an instro at the beginning with some intense picking as well. Awesome classic Lou bass lines again. Um, and then like a weird, really drastic quiet piece in this uh, in a in the middle section too, like um, and it really kind of gets into almost like a pretty section, you know what those lyrics I'm waiting. please come back. I've got the guts now. It's kind of like, It's kind of pretty in and amongst all of the sludge. Yeah. I've always loved that song, Sludge Feast.
1: Great, really cool song structure. No real chorus, just some really catchy verses, those great melancholy lyrics kind of pining for a girl. Um, The sonic youth influence on the fade out. And then it goes into like this almost bloodstains style riff with some wicked soloing over top of it. Yeah. Yeah. Totally sounds like a different song. I always thought that was cool.
0: Yeah, well, I will admit, for you know, probably the first several listens of this record, I thought it was a different song. Same. And, and, and then I'm just like, what? What just happened there, you know? Yeah.
1: Okay, and then the last song on side one, The Lung. I always thought the guitar riff sounded like a Dead Milkman kind of riff on this song, with that picking. Great lyrics, nowhere to collapse the lung, Breeze a doubt in everyone. I've never really sat down and noticed how odd these song structures are. They're so catchy. You don't really realize, like, this one doesn't really have any verses. Yeah. And, but it, it has some great examples of Jay's kind of melodic style of soloing, which I think is where some of those Neil Young comparisons come from.
0: And his vocals. Yeah, I, his I think his vocals on this record and Bug, uh, like early Jay Maskus singing, sounds more like Neil Young than his later stuff for sure. And I can see like they compared him for sure for those both of those reasons. I would say lyrics or sorry vocals and his guitar solos agreed. Yeah.
1: Then we flip it over, Ryan, and we're on to the Wharton Tears side of the record, and we've got. An all-time classic. Great song to start off. Yeah. Side one, side two. Raisins. Love, love, love this song. The guitar playing and the licks in the pre-chorus are so epic. And then that chorus, I'll be down, I'll be around, You're I'll around. be hanging
0: where eventually you'll have to be. Man, you got to just sing, built that shit out when that song's on, man. Oh, you yeah. got to do it. And, the, and Lou with some sweet fuzzed out bass chording, Love that.
1: This one ends Ryan with a total fret melter. Love it. You know what I I always think of one of the times that I saw Dinosaur Jr. They played this song like, I can't remember if it was an encore or right at the end. It might've been an encore. I just, I distinctly remember Jay Mascus going up to the mic and he probably hadn't said a single word into the mic all night. And he just goes, You want some more? Well, how about some raisins? (laughs) (laughs) And then then they kick into this song. Cool, man. Oh, and a cool, interesting thing is the sample in the middle part of this song is a field recording Lou put on tape while he was helping out in an old folks home. Uh, A resident was shouting while they were trying to bathe him like the you're killing me stuff. Yeah, it's, it's eerie. Yeah. All right, then the second track, Tar Pit, kind of the ballad on the album, maybe?
0: Maybe. It still has got some wicked, fuzzed-out Lou bass chording, though. Yeah, and a lengthy Sonic Youth-style
1: noise ending. And then In a Jar, Watt, Watt singles out Lou's playing and tone as a highlight for him
0: in the liner notes. This is classic Lou on bass, for sure. The, the the lines, the riffs. Actually, this whole second side, he's really just shining for me. Yeah. This is the one song where the bass is way
1: louder in the mix than the guitar. And then at the end, it's pretty epic when the guitar comes in and Jay does his thing. There's some more samples from Lou on this one. I think I, it was in the 33 and a Third book where Jay says the lyrics are about life's scars piling up. Hmm. And then the last two tracks were written, written by Lou Barlow. Lou's, here's what Lou says about it. It was a pastiche of half-baked songs. I took the verse melody from an earlier three-string acoustic guitar song of mine and then added every single
0: riff I'd thought of over two years, a la Jay. Hmm. It's it's like the blueprint for you know, amplified Sebato tracks to come to. Yeah. Great Lou singing on it, too. Like, it just sounds like a young Lou Barlow wailing away. It's a great tune for me.
1: Yeah. And then his second track is like a, a home recording that he did. He was really into home recordings and really into throbbing gristle and experimental music, too. This one's six minutes long. They do point out without these two Lou songs on it, the album would have only been 25 minutes long. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Well, Bug is really short, too. The next record that has no Lou contributions. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, this this song, he took
1: two songs he had written on the ukulele and put them together, like just with two tape recorders, I think, wired into one. And then it goes into like this four-second swell of an orchestra thing, is what Lou calls it. And then kind of this long experimental part with it it sounds like pitch shifting on a four track, but he did it by jamming a pen into like the tape recorder or, recorder or something. Yeah. He he says, This is probably my biggest attempt at meeting a girl through music
0: hmm. to totally express myself in a song. Yeah, it's definitely like it starts off with a very what what has come to be a very familiar Lou Barlow acoustic sounding track and then it just swirls into a weird sound collage for the second half of the track
1: hey here's a review ryan from uh the zine ink disease number 13 winter of 88 rarely does such a great power explode in your face with with such grace i love this record The Big D have released one of the most explosive albums of the 80s with their newest. Dynamically, songs glide from Neil Young-esque harmony to the most explosive rock punk on earth, not to mention the great experimental mind warp at the end. Can't wait for their next disc. Until then, be sure to crank this one loud till the grooves wear so bad only the sonic bursts are audible. (laughs) So that was written at the time, which is, you know pretty insightful. You know, a lot of the stuff you hear about this record was written in hindsight, taking into account all the indie rock that came after it. Yeah. There's a really good thing on this, on the album in the Andrew Earls book, Gimme Indie Rock, you know, that kind of talks a lot about how, well, he calls it, it merely hinted at the wall to wall rule rewriting greatness of what would come next. Agreed. Uh, He's, you know, but he, here's what he says at the end. The result, an album that mixed beauty, chaotic guitar noise, and volume with an unprecedented magic that would write indie rock's future.
0: Yeah. Well, we should mention too, just before we talk about the artwork, the, the SST CD version of this also came with a bonus track. Oh yeah. Right. Uh, it came with uh, Show Me The Way, which is, we'll we'll get to that track on the little uh, Fury Things 12-inch at SST 152. The Merge re-release replaced Show Me The Way with uh, the song Just Like Heaven by The Cure. Um, and, and The Cure was very influential on Dinosaur Jr. as well. And that track, Just Like Heaven, we'll get to that on the Just Like Heaven 12-inch at SST 244. So there's a bonus track on each version of the CD, just different uh, different tracks. Want to talk about the cover art then, Brent?
1: Yeah. You mentioned Maura Jasper, a friend of Jay's from the Amherst punk scene, did the cover art. Yep. She did the Homestead debut
0: album cover art as well. Yeah, in the liner notes for this Numero box set, Mara writes the liner notes, Visitors is the name of the box set here. She talks about how the cover for the Homestead record was basically, you know, she drew it to order, as Jay instructed, but this one, she was actually listening to the music and was given the, the name of the album title, and that's it. And then she was kind of left to come up with her own image.
1: Yeah, she says in the 33 and a third book, Figurative drawings on the subject of someone who is struggling with emotional things and can't escape from them. Yeah, and
0: it's also uh, Mara also mentions how the 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 image is reminiscent of the Sonic Youth Confusionist Sex cover, and it's it's uh, you know she acknowledges that it has some similarities in terms of the two different people kind of layered on top of each other. Yeah. But it totally, like when I've, when I have always looked at this cover, it's like one of those people are living all over the other person. So the image totally works. Yeah. And you've got the color
1: scheme totally fits Dinosaur Jr. It looks like a sludge feast. Yep. You've got the purple, which is a, a Dinosaur Jr. trademark. It's Jay's favorite color. Mora, by the way, can be seen in the video for Little Fury Things, jumping
0: on Lou's parents' bed. Yep. Yeah. Do you know who Mora's sister is? No, who? Megan Jasper from Sub Pop. Oh, cool. Do you remember that movie Hype? The uh, the woman who's telling the story yeah. about how someone... I know what you're going to say. <laughs> yeah, from the New York Times, phoned her up and said, tell me about like the Seattle scene. And she was making up all these definitions for them, like catch you on the flippity flop and wax slacks and stuff like yep. that. That's Mara's sister, <laughs> Megan, who's now like the CEO of Subpop, I believe. Hmm. Did not know that. Yeah, but they all knew each other back in um, at the University of Massachusetts. You're right. Okay. The back cover is a photo Mara found
1: in a book called Investigations of Death. It's apparently a photo of a plane crash, It's described in the liner notes, or no, sorry, it's described in the 33 and a third book. Blurry photograph of a forest clearing colored in livid red and green only. Little bits of trees are strewn about everywhere and the only discernible objects are a post with a sign hanging on top and in the foreground, a human hand.
0: So inside the uh, SST CD, anyways, CD version. There's a painting there of, it looks like kind of an ogre and a princess in front of a castle with like a a biplane off in the distance. Kind of an interesting photo. It definitely fits the Dinosaur Jr. look, it, if they have one, I guess. There's a color version of that painting inside the
1: Merge one. And isn't that from one of the singles too?
0: Yeah, it's from, um, I don't know which one though. It's, the, it's either the Show Me The Way or the Just Like Heaven one. It's on there as well, so we'll get into that. It says um,
1: painting by Mike Mascus. Oh, there you go.
0: Related to Jay, probably. Yep. The one co- the one picture that says it all for me, though. Again, like knowing the turmoil within the band and what's to ha- what's to come after Bug, is that one picture? There's like a a bunch of photos, twelve photos or so on the back, um, and I'm looking at the SST CD. Uh, version where Lou is just sitting on a curb and he looks completely just devastated and destroyed. Probably just had like a really bad drive in the van for a while. Yeah, I can see it. <laughs> Lou had some pretty like far out sweaters back oh, in yeah. this era. Yeah, yeah for sure. Did you see any of the early um, Deep Wound pictures where the, <laughs> I don't? I think it's Jay's mom. Knit him like a, a deep wound sweater, cable knit sweater. Yeah. And it's like, oh, that's, that's a very supportive parent. Yep. We should all be so lucky.
1: Okay. I have some dead wax, Ryan. Do it. Side A, it was screaming, but I couldn't tell where the mouth was. Side B, that's Mr. Party to
0: you. Well, the screaming part definitely fits. All right. Now, Ryan, the ballot result. We we have to. I feel like it's going to be like, I feel like we're going to agree on too many, but let's do it. Ballot result. You get to pick. Mm, I think I have to start it with Little Fury Things. Like, it's just the classic... It's the classic track from there's so many classics from this album, but it's just the best album opener, man. But here's the thing, Ryan. The we SSD... can get it on we can get we can get it later on a 12 inch. Okay, okay, okay. Yeah. Then you pick. Jeez, man, you're always giving me my muppins.
1: <laughs> I would go with Sludge Feast or even better, Raisins.
0: I'd go with either of those. You go ahead and pick.
1: I well, if I'm picking, it's Raisins. Love that song. Yeah. how about some reasons? <laughs>
0: <laughs> Woo, there you go. We did it. It's pretty hard to top this record. I I loved listening to it this week oh, over yeah, and too.
1: over and over. I haven't listened to it in a really long time. I you know, it's a one that takes me back to a very specific time and place in my life. so yeah, it's it's always good to listen to.
0: Oh yeah, for sure. Yeah. Late late high school for me, Like I was, it's funny, like I discovered Dinosaur Jr. kind of as I was evolving out of hardcore. And this was a record that, you know, was the culmination of them fully evolved out of hardcore. Interesting. Ryan, what's next week? Well, speaking of one of our faves, next week we've got a Firehose record who we love as much as Dinosaur Jr. for sure. It's the sometimes, almost always 12 inch, SST 131.
1: Hey everyone, thanks for listening. You can find us on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, Tumblr, all at MoJackPod. We post all kinds of info and tons of pictures of the bands and albums we discuss on the show. Our blog is MoJackPod.com. Please check it out for some exclusive content.